We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. Buckle your seatbelt. There, there's a train of spirit that's going on in, in Tabernacle of Praise right now. And, uh, you know, the hard thing about being a pastor is God gives you something to say, and He expects you to say it. And so I just want to tell you from the forefront that I respect the Lord. I love all of you and respect you, but I love the Lord and respect Him more than I love anybody or respect them. Not that I don't love and respect you, but understand, I love the Lord and I respect what God wants to say to us. Now, don't get scared. Some of you are getting your purses and your wallets and getting up. Don't, don't get up yet. Let me start with this. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to just open it up. I'm going to start with this. <clears throat> many people today are, uh, because of what's going on with this virus, many people today have come under the, I'm, when I say people, I'm going to say Christians. So when I say people, you in, put Christian in your mind. Or maybe I'll just say Christian and make it easier, okay? M- many Christians today ha- have established this thing of, of, in their life of, you know what, my, my freedoms and my rights have been infringed on because I couldn't come and worship like I, we did before. And, and, that, and I totally understand that. Listen, I respect the rights, and I thank God for every right we have in this country. I respect those that, that died for those rights. But l- let me say this. Let me say something. When we put the rights of our own selves o- over our responsibility to the gospel, we become militant. Ooh, I knew that wasn't going to go over. So I'm going to say it again. When we put our rights as citizens of this country over the responsibility of being a Christian, we become militant. How do I know that? Because Jesus dealt with it in his day. The Jews were very militant against Rome. They didn't like the way Rome was treating them about their religion and the way they worshiped. They didn't like it. They were even militant against Jesus. And understand this, in his own disciples, Jesus had to deal with that militant attitude because they were like, come on, Jesus, get this war happening. Make this thing go so that we can take over and show Rome who we are. After all, we're God's people. But they wanted to do it. Jesus said, listen, we're not militant, guys. We didn't come with militant attitudes. We came in love. Now, understand this. You and I are in a war, right? There's a difference between being militant in a war and being a soldier in war. Being militant is this. I'm performing this act to appease what I need and what I want and my desire. That's what militant. You find militants in the military. That doesn't mean they're soldiers. That means they have an agenda that relates to their feeling. It doesn't address the country. It addresses their feeling. But to be a soldier means that you follow in the direction of the leader in a military. And we're soldiers in this war. There is a war. This war is not flesh and blood. We're not battling a government. We're not battling a a group of people. We're not battling a man, a woman. That's not what we're battling. We're battling principalities and powers and rulers in the high place. The darkness that's in high. That's what we're battling. So let's get out of being militant and let's become soldiers. Okay? I told you to put your seatbelt on because I'm just now getting, this is my preface. We're just getting started here. We have to understand something about our responsibility as Christians. It outweighs any freedom. It outweighs any right. It. What rights do you have as a Christian? What rights do you have as a Christian? 
None. He paid the price. He paid the price. Who has the, if anybody has a right in Christianity, it's Jesus Christ. The rest of us, I knew that wouldn't get a fly either. Stay with me. Understand something. If we will put, let's go to the Old Testament real quick before I get into my sermon. As long as the Jews did what they were supposed to do, that being their responsibility to God in worship, and as long as they did that, you know what God did? He took care of them. They didn't have to worry about that. But when they started falling away and speaking to God about, well, listen, God, we have the right as your people for this, and started, that's when, that's when they got into trouble with God. And a lot of times that's what happens. And listen, let's just be honest what's happening in America. Because, and that's what I'm preaching about today, the fallen and the remnant. The fallen and the remnant. Understand this. What happens in a nation that is a Christian nation, when that Christian nation falls into the situation that we're in, is that we have gotten away from our responsibility to God. Matthew 28, 19 was not a suggestion. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's not a suggestion. That's our general saying go. Don't be militant. Be a soldier. That's what he was saying there. But what happens is, and I want to talk to you about that a little bit today, the fallen and the remnant. Turn with me if you would. 2 Thessalonians 2. We're going to read verse 1 first. I'm going to say this while you're turning there, because I, I, this is not, this is not, Pastor Don's not mad. Some of y'all are like, Pastor Don, sometimes I speak a certain way and you think I'm mad. I'm not mad, okay? But, but I want to speak to you about what God's talked to me about. That, it's, it's very important. And, and, and here's something, brother, this is, I'm going to back up because some of you have rocks in your pocket and I know you're ready. Some people have complained so much, I'm talking about the American church, about us not having the right to come and, and worship in our services like we, and you know, it's infringed upon my right, it's wrong, this and this and that. And you know what? 90% of those people never show up on Wednesday night for Bible study. Boom! You know, it's not about the right to serve God, it's about my right. It's about my right. You're taking away my right. Okay, let me, I'm, you know what, here's the thing God spoke to me about. He said, don't gauge your, my people by Sunday. Don't gauge them. You gauge them by Wednesday. That's the ones who have a feel about their right to worship. The other ones just have a feel about their right. Again, I'm an American. I love all the rights. I appreciate all the rights. But they never ever supersede the responsibility of being a Christian. Ever. When they do, we become militant and we begin to lose our authority and power in the spirit realm. And that's what's happened in America. We've lost our authority and power in the spirit realm because we've become militant. It's more about my right for this and my right for that than it is my responsibility. My responsibility is to touch the lost. Oh, well, you know, when Jesus said that, what he meant was, no, what Jesus said was, and he wasn't talking to the preachers. He was talking to the preachers and the saints and whoever was in the church. Go ye therefore. That's all of us. 
That's our responsibility. When's the last time? Ask yourself this question, because I had to ask myself several times this week. When's the last time I went thee therefore? What I'm doing here today is not Matthew 28, 19, okay? What I'm doing here today is not Matthew 28, 19. Mm. What I'm doing today is instructing the church as a pastor on how to live for God and what God's direction is for our church. But go ye therefore and teach. That's outside of what we do on Sunday. When's the last time Pastor Don did that? Now ask your, Now that you've asked me, I'm going to ask you. When's the last time you did it? Because that is what Jesus told us to do. If we do anything else other than that, we're militant, not soldiers. Okay, stay with me. Some of you are already mad. Good. I want you to get mad. I want you to get mad with me. I'm not mad. Some of you get mad at me. I want you to, when we get mad with me as we go. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 1. Now, we beseech. That word beseech means to request, ask, or entreat. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we're asking by the coming. We know He's coming. And so we're asking by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together in Him. What's Paul saying here? He's speaking about the rapture that's to come. So I'm, we're going to go into this, but I want to get this first verse down. His his. In this letter here, his whole point here is, listen, I'm asking you, I'm asking you, I'm searching you, I'm, in, I'm, I'm interrogating as part of the definition here, you about the, that Jesus Christ is coming and he's gathering us together. It, it's been increasingly harder to watch our world spiral to the depths that it spiraled to. It's getting harder and harder. It wasn't this way when I was a kid. It wasn't this way when you were a kid. And kids, when you get older, you're going to say the same thing if Jesus doesn't come by the time you're an adult. Family, economic, governmental, and social structures are collapsing. They're collapsing. If you don't think family is collapsing, what is family? What is family? It is the union of a man and a woman who then produce children. That is family. It's collapsing. Because now we don't believe in that union. Now the belief in, in our country is the union of anybody. It's, it's the union of any, or, or the non-union at all. Just have to, It's collapsing. If you don't think our culture is collapsing, you need to look around you. Our culture was not, it's not what it was 20, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. It's collapsing. I'm not trying to scare you. Look, some of you are like, oh, God, you take us down straight down to the bowels of hell. Well, come back up. We're not going there. The Bible tells us that in the latter days, not the last days. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That started at Pentecost. But there are latter days. The latter days are the end time days, the end days before the coming. of. He, the Bible says that there would also be a collapse of morality ethics and faith and I keep asking myself have we gone too far to go back has America gone too far to reach back to have revival or, or will there be a revival in our country will, be, there, will there be something that charges it and I hope maybe this sermon because it's charged me up will get you charged to understand that you know what even if America has no revival Tabernacle of Praise is going to have revival your family's going to have revival. You are going to have revival. It's going to happen. Only God really knows the answer about the revival. Only God really knows that. But there are biblical signs 
that we can look at that precede these latter days that we cannot d- deny. Now, we know that there were signs that are given that the generation that sees that will see the coming of the Lord. And we know one of those was the institution of Israel becoming a nation again. We knew that that happened in the mid to late 40s, 1947, 48. In nearly every place on earth, dark occult and demonic schemes are at work. That's one of the signs that the darkness in this earth would be deeper and deeper and deeper. It's not anything different than happened between Adam and Noah. But the same exact thing happened between Adam and Noah that's happening now. And Jesus made this statement. You know what's going to happen in the end? What happened in the days of Noah? It's the same exact thing. There's nothing new here. We even have evil genetic experiments going on. Where's that in the Bible? There's some interesting things you can find in the Bible when you read. The changing of who we are. Taking away what God gave us and who we are and changing it. Morality is being gutted by the most shameless behavior that we've ever seen in our country's history. The morality of this country is being decimated by this behavior. And and as we know, there's a prophecy of things to come before the Great Tribulation. Now, I don't know if you're a pre-tribulation, a mid-tribulation, or a post-tribulation. I'm just going to say this. If you're a mid and a post, you've made a mistake. And I'm going to show you right here. You made a mistake. I'm also going to say this. If you think, uh, if I don't make the rapture, I, I know what to do later, and I'm going to write it out, you made a mistake. You made a mistake. Oh, there are going to be those that are saved in tribulation. Hmm. And a part of that prophecy, the Bible says that there's going to be a falling away. A falling away. Our immediate reaction to the falling away is this. Well, we were a Christian nation and now we're no longer a Christian nation. That's not the falling away. That's not the falling away. And by the way, America is not the center of the universe. As far as God's concerned through biblical understanding, Jerusalem is the center of the universe. We happen to be someone that's fortunate enough as a country to have had somebody that loved us enough over there to bring the gospel over here. We're so bent on them. We're the ones that have the whole world becoming Christian. No, we're a part of the ones that we didn't start this. We have to get our focus on the right things and understand something. Listen, I've, I've heard different preachers talk about this falling away, that it's actually unsafe people who fall away more and more from the truth. Unsafe people, that they really weren't saved at all to begin with. That's the falling away. People that, well, you know, they lived for God all their life, and at the end they committed to this horrible sin. They really weren't saved at all anyway. I've heard preachers talk about that. That's not the falling away. That's not the falling away. Others say it's those who pretend to be Christians that come to church and act like Christians, but, uh, you know, in the end they just leave because they're done with the Christianity thing. That's not the falling away. Others say it's Christians who, who have really never been born again. They're Christian in name only. That's not the falling away. Listen, you can't fall from the top of a ladder unless you're on the top of the ladder. Correct? You agree with me on that? Okay. You can't fall away from a marriage unless you're married. You can't fall away from truth unless you have it first. First. 
And that's what the falling away is. It's not a falling away of societal truth. It's a falling away of Christian truth, biblical truth, God truth. It's the falling away from that. Well, I just don't believe in God anymore. That's not the falling away. It's a whole different spectrum in the Scripture. Let's read verses 1 through 3 again in chapter 2. Now, now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul wrote a lot about Jesus' coming. Because the expectation was He's coming today. That was Paul's expectation. And by our gathering together, that ye not be soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let me stop before I read verse 3. The day of the Lord and the day of the Christ, when you read in Scripture, is not the rapture. When you go to the Old Testament, you find the day of the Lord. And when you come into the New Testament, you find the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is God's judgment. Go to the Old Testament and look at the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord came upon His people, and it was God's judgment. So the day of the Lord He's speaking here is not the rapture, but He's speaking about God's judgment. So let's look at this again. That, 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 that God's judgment is at hand. God's judgment is in verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. The rapture is not going to happen. The judgment of God is not going to happen. None of that's going to happen until there's a falling away. Years and years and years we've read books and watched movies and listened to people talk about when the rapture could or couldn't happen. And listen, he, Paul gives us the exact thing. When you see the falling away, that's when the judgment of God is about to happen. Oh, my goodness. So if we're falling away, if people in God's church are falling away now, is God going to judge us before rapture? Let's look. Except there come a falling away, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Do you all know who that is? Starts with an A, ends with a T. Antichrist. So some things are going to happen before Antichrist is revealed. And he's saying that the Antichrist cannot be revealed. There's got to be a falling away. Part of the judgment of God is the revelation of the Antichrist. Allowing the Antichrist to take his place. That's part of the judgment of God on the world, is allowing that to happen. It can't happen right now. You know why? There's not been a falling away? Oh, yes, there has. There's one reason. Because the prophecy of falling away is happening. There's only one reason the Antichrist cannot. The only reason, because we're going to read it here in a second. Let me spill it to you. There's one that will, the Antichrist can't come until this one is removed and will let that happen. It's very important for you to recognize something today. The Holy Ghost is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Ghost is the resurrection power. The Holy Ghost is the one, when God calls us out of here, if you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got a string tied to you, and God pulls that Holy Ghost, that string out, and guess what? The Holy Ghost leaves this planet. Can you imagine? That's the only way Antichrist is even going to be able, he, he can't even take his place because the power of the Holy Ghost keeps him at bay. So how will we actually know when this falling away has taken place? How much worse can things get? In Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, 
uh, at the church at Thessalonica, he, he spoke to them about the resurrection of the saints. If you've read 1 Thessalonians, you understand that's where Paul spoke of the glorious return of the Lord and the resurrection of the saints. We'll be caught up to meet, we'll be caught up in the air with them to meet, in the clouds with them to meet Jesus in the air. We're not caught up to meet Jesus in the air. We're, ca- we're first caught up to meet the dead in Christ will rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up to, with them to meet them in the clouds, and so we'll meet him in the air. So we all get to come together to meet him. That's all done by the power of the Holy Ghost. How do we know this? Who raised Christ from the dead? You sure? Because Jesus said, if you kill this temple, if you destroy this temple, I'll raise it up. Jesus also said, my father raised. Listen, we, do we understand something here? I'm not going to preach oneness today, but understand something. In the beginning, God began something that he will complete in the end. And he's never changed it. So understand this. Jesus Christ in you, Holy Ghost, the God of glory in you, that's what lifts you out of this world. Judgment will not come upon you. In that, in that first book of Thessalonians, he spoke, speaks of the glorious resurrection of the saints. It's only a few months later he has to write a second letter for a particular reason. Between the two letters, only months, false prophets had already walked into the church and began to preach something different than what Paul preached to them about the resurrection. False prophets, false teachers, false pastors, false preachers, whatever you want to call them. They started preaching something different. And so what Second Thessalonians is, is that it is Paul making sure everybody understands what I was talking about earlier. Let's get this matter straight. They were preaching that the ongoing persecution of the Roman Empire against the Jews and the Christians was actually the Great Tribulation. That's what they were preaching. They came into the church and said, listen, the Great Tribulation is happening on us now. They said, we're already in the latter days, tribulation, and the rapture still hasn't happened. So Paul writes to affirm to the church that the rapture or the catching away will happen before the day of the Lord. Before the judgment of God. Before those things. That's why I am a pre... Go all through the Scripture and you see it. When God's judgment came upon the earth, He took His people out so that the judgment didn't fall upon them. Look at Noah. He was taken so that the judgment didn't fall upon him. You can follow it all the way through Scripture. The day of the Lord in Scripture, again, is it's God's intervention in world's events to judge His enemies, to accomplish His purpose, and to demonstrate His sovereignty. That's what this is about. And so here's the thing. If you're in the church, if you're in the church, you already, your judgment has already been taken. It was taken on the cross. You don't experience a second judgment. Oh, but the judgment seat of Christ. Look up that. Judgment seat of Christ. It's a place of glory where you receive crowns of righteousness. It's not to judge whether you made it or not. There's a big confusion. You know what? Things haven't changed much in 2,000 years. There are still those that stand in pulpits today and preach the judgment of God against God's people. Understand this. It's important to you understand this. We're talking about 
the falling away. This judgment begins with seven years of tribulation. This judgment that we're talking about, the day of the Lord, begins with seven years of tribulation. Then you have a thousand years of peace, but then you have another judgment. Understand this about God. God doesn't judge sin today because sin is ongoing. And final judgment happens when sin is all done. So understand this, that this judgment that starts at tribulation will only end when God's final, when God calls it all done. He says it's all done. So now, like Paul, we find ourselves in this increasingly tumultuous world. If you've ever read the history of the church, you know in the first generation of the church, it was very tumultuous. They were being killed, crucified, stoned, their skin peeled off. All kinds of things were happening. Now, would you not think that's tribulation? Would you not understand that somebody coming into your church building today and knowing that you have gone through all of this because you're a Christian, that it would be easy to convince me that it would be tribulation. Be easy to convince me. But it's understanding. It's understanding that we're going to talk about here at the end. Stay with me. We see an increase in anti-Christian activity around the world right now. There's an increase. Was there anti-Christian activity in Paul's day? Paul was one of them as Saul. We see it not only that, but in America, anti-Christian activity in America. Was there anti-Christian activity in Israel? Just like Paul's day. And like Israel in Paul's day, things were spinning out of control for the Jews. And there are many Christian teachers suggesting, like today, like those in Paul's day, that we as Christians will be here as the day of the Lord begins. I'm talking to you about the fallen and the remnant. In other words, the same era of teaching in Paul's day is still alive and well today. That hasn't changed much. But we live moment to moment as Christians, understanding that the blessed hope of Him coming could happen at any moment, at any time. How far often and how many times have we heard in the past, Jesus can't come yet because this hasn't been fulfilled? Have you heard that preached? Well, some of you are just lying to me. Or you had not been in church very long. I'll give you that one. This has to happen, and this has to happen, and this has to happen for Jesus to come. Stipulations and limitations. Man's directive to work. We'll tell God when it's time for Him to come. If that's the case, then we can get you a couple of those revelations, prophecies, and just hang on and not let them happen. And Jesus will never come. You understand that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that way. There is an appointed time. There is an appointed time. And it, it doesn't concern prophecy. It doesn't concern work. It's an appointed time that God had from the very beginning. Before the foundations of the world. There's an appointed time in which Jesus will return. Just let that sink in a little bit. We don't know that appointed time, do we? We know He can come back at any time. That's what He said. As a matter of fact, Jesus' revelations to earth were so uh, earthly, He said, listen, 
It'd be, you know what it's, what it's like when you're asleep and you don't realize it and a thief sneaks in your house and steals everything you got and walks out and you never knew it till you woke up in the morning and all your stuff was gone. He said, that's what it's going to be like when I come back, just like a thief in the night. You'll never even realize it's happening. Well, wait a minute. I thought when the prophecy said this, this, and this, then I would know. Nope. You're not even going to realize. It's like a thief in the night. It's, it's a surprise. It's a surprise to everyone, including you and me. It's a surprise. That's why I'm talking to you today about the fallen and the remnant. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, For the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Paul was adamant that the church would be gone before the day of the Lord happens. He was very adamant that we would not experience this thing called the Great Tribulation. How do we know that? 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not destined to the wrath of God, the judgment of God. That was taken at the cross. That's not our destiny. It's not our destination. Our destination is rapture. Our destination is catching away. How often do we talk about it to one another? We talk more about what we don't get to do and can't do and can't go and where we can't go. Then we talk about the coming of Jesus Christ. We talk less about the coming of Jesus Christ than we do anything biblical when it's the most exciting thing that's going to happen that this world would have ever experienced. You ever had that Superman dream when you're flying? It's coming. Babe, it's coming. That Superman dream that you're flying on, it won't be a dream. You will be flying. Have you ever had that dream? Doesn't it seem so real? I think God gives us that dream just to give us an experience. Yeah, here, just, here taste this. Just taste this. Just imagine what that's going to be like. Some of you are going to be, I know you, I know you very well. As we're going up, you're going to be trying to go faster than me. You're very competitive. I, I get that, and that's okay. As long as we both make it, I don't care. But we talk about it less. Do you know why we don't talk about the rapture? You know why we don't talk about it? We understand the consequence. We understand the consequence. It's hard to talk about the joy of leaving this place knowing that we haven't Matthew 28, 19. It's hard to be joyous. Memorial Day is a day we celebrate. It's a little hard to celebrate those that die. That's, you know, it's hard to celebrate that because they died. And the reason we don't talk about the rapture in the church very much is because we know, we know that we possibly could be a part of the fallen. What is the fallen? Thank you for asking. Now let's talk about that, and I'll be through. Who are the fallen? Because of false teaching, the first century church believed that they were in tribulation. At the time Paul's writings, the Roman emperor was Claudius. As we read Paul's writings in Thessalonians, the Roman emperor was Claudius. Claudius's reign was full of debauchery and deceit. Uh, he was eventually assassinated so Nero could be put into place. 
The Jews are watching all this. The Christians are watching all this. And they hated Claudius. They hated him. Why? He expelled the Jews from Rome because they had constant upbringings. The Jews couldn't come to Rome anymore. They were not allowed to be in Rome. He expelled them. The Jews and Christians had become repulsed by the actions of his family. Claudius had appointed Herod Agrippa II as king. Agrippa was married to his own sister, Bernice. In other words, our next president is married to his sister. Wouldn't that be a little repulsive? Maybe not. Maybe we're so used to that kind of behavior that it wouldn't be repulsed if we found out that Trump's wife was actually a sister. Wouldn't that be horrible? You see, he controlled the politics and the finances of the temple in Jerusalem. And that corrupted the priests. The Jews saw this. The Christians saw this. And there was an alliance between the Roman government. There was an alliance between the Roman government and and Judaism. Even though the Jews and Christians saw this corruption and that God's judgment must be near, Paul said, it's not here yet. See, that's why they were believing, oh, the day of God's judgment is right upon us. Tribulation is right upon us. It's uncanny how that we can look at our own situation at times and draw conclusions that just aren't biblically correct. We look at our own situations and not look at word. And because we look at our own situations, I'm talking to you about the fallen and the remnant. When we begin to look at our own situations and make judgments and make understandings and cast ideas about what's going on with our situation, we make some uncanny mistakes because they're not biblically based. Can I say it again? We're not the center of the universe. We're not the center of the universe. Remember that throughout the first century of the church, It couldn't have been in tribulation, and it couldn't have been under God's judgment because the first century of the church was growth and expansion and souls. That's because God's people weren't so concerned about their rights as they were about the souls. They weren't so concerned about their rights. Did they have a lot of rights taken from them? Absolutely. The day that Jesus walked this earth... The rights of the Jews was minimal. They weren't concerned about their rights. We don't read where they complained about not being able to meet for the fear of death. It's just something that went on. They lived through it because they were more concerned about souls, concerned about rapture. I find this kind of normal. I have a different feel about my wife and children and grandchildren, about them being saved, than I do about the person that's over in uh, Saudi Arabia. I have a different feel. But I have to be concerned for the people in Saudi Arabia, just like I have a concern for my wife and my kids and my grandkids. If I don't have the same concern... I have fallen away. Stay with me. You see, this falling away is a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing. 
Remember that throughout the century, the church was not in demise. It was in growth. Even though the reigns of Nero and Vespasian and Titus and Domitian, they were in constant persecution, but they didn't know, there wasn't a falling away. Under constant persecution, the church didn't fall away. It grew. That wasn't the falling away. Before tribulation, the falling away comes. The falling away or apostasy literally means to stand away from truth. The, the falling away, the word apostasy, means to stand away from truth. So you first have to have it, and then you got to stand away from it. You can't fall from it if you're not on it. I can't fall off the roof if I'm not on the roof. You see, here's what it is in the end of this message. Here's what it is. I want this, we need to be disturbed about this. The, it's actually a revolt from God's truth. That's what the falling away is here. It's the people of God who revolt from the truth of God. Well, the truth is what you say it is. Nope. The truth is what your denomination says it is. Nope. The truth is what pastor says it is. Nope. The truth is what bishop says it is. Nope. The truth is what a prophet said. Nope. The truth is what it is. It's the Word of God. Well, you interpret it differently than I do. Nope. It is, it says what it says. And what happens is, the falling away is when we take our spin on truth. When you put your spin on truth, you start to fall away. Because now you're revolting against truth. Oh, but I didn't rise up and take a sword. No, you don't have to. Many a revolt in the world history started on paper. The revolt against the largest church in the world started on paper, tagged to a door. When we look at truth and put our spin on it, the falling away is when people of faith lose their first love and they want something different than their first love. That's what falling away is. Sadly, it will be the people of faith who turn from that truth. That, that same group of people is going to people that be the people that usher in tribulation. How do you think that some dude's going to show up on the national scene and everybody falls in love with him? Unless they're already in love with him because he doesn't follow truth. He follows humanism. He follows human thinking. And those people that lose truth in church, they won't follow faith. They'll follow humanism. That's what will happen. The churches will be full after we leave here, y'all. Don't, don't make, make no mistake. The churches will be full. Not full of Christians, but they'll be full. And they won't be full of people crying out, Lord, what happened? It won't be that at all. They will be ready to usher in this Antichrist, this tribulation period. It would be so easy for him to usher himself in because they're already waiting on him because they've already fallen from truth. You will know the truth, and the truth does not set you free. The Scripture says it makes you free. Setting you free has to do with something else than making you free. Making you free has to do with your experience with Him. 
That's what make you free means. You have an experience with Jesus Christ. Many of people are sitting on church pews today that possibly are going to usher in Antichrist. I told you to put your seatbelt on. I'm going to finish. I, 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 I passed up some of the blocks here because I've got I to stop. Let's look at verses 3 through 6 really quick. And now you know what withholdeth that he might reveal in this his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And, when, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, with all power, with all power, with all signs, with all signs, with all signs. Jesus said you're cursed because you seek a sign. Cursed is the one that seeks a sign. With all power, all signs, and lying wonders. Many a church is set up on power, signs, and wonders. We believe in that, right? Everybody shake your head yes. We believe in the power and the sign and the wonders of God as they are apportionate to the Scripture, truth. But when they relieve themselves, that belief relieves itself from the Scripture, then it's a falling away. The falling away has nothing to do with society. It has everything to do with the church. When we cease to love truth, one of the hardest things to do is to stand in a pulpit and tell people what they're doing will send them to hell. It's hard. You want to try it? It's hard. But you know what? It's not a judgment. It's not an observation. It's word. It's word. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and tell everybody you're busting hell wide open for this, this, and this. But understand this. When we as the church decide that, well, you know, the Bible says God loves everybody, and He does. Thank God. That we can't disclude, and thank God we don't disclude. Jesus discluded no one. But He did disclude their sin. He did disclude their sin. And when we as the church, not only be inclusive, and we're inclusive of every single person, it doesn't matter who they are. But when we become inclusive and say it's okay, it's, it's their right to have, here we go. See, that, that has entered, you know, maybe me or not, it's entered into the church. It's their right. You have no rights. You understand that? We have no rights as Christians. But what we've, what's happening is there are those that have fallen away that are entering rights into the church. And so this person, you know, they're a, you know, that guy likes another guy. You know, God loves him. Absolutely. God loves them both. But what did he tell the woman? Listen, there's nobody here to accusing you, so I'm not going to accuse you. So we're not here to accuse anybody, right? We're not here to accuse anybody. But he said, but don't do that anymore. Quit doing that. That's the acceptance of the Lord. Don't. I love, I don't, and understand something. Listen, your sin is not who you are. Is a result of what you're doing. You can change it. You can change it. And when God changes it, He changes you. 
You're still you, but you have a different outlook now. And that's what truth is. Truth is designed to change us into the image and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what truth is for, is to change you and I into that image. If you don't think you can become the image of Jesus Christ, you're falling away. He expects that from us. What is the image of Jesus Christ? Can, can you give me an image? What, what is something that Jesus does? Because that's what the image is. This is not the image of Don Biddick. This is my shell. The image is how I speak, how I talk, how I treat. How... That's the image. That's who you are. What's an image of Jesus Christ? There's some easy. Love, that's an easy. What's some other image of Jesus Christ? Forgiveness, grace. That's image. Anything, another image of Jesus Christ. Mercy, grace, long-suffering, peace, gentleness, kindness. There's, there's a, images, images, images. It's when we cease to go after and follow through with those images, we begin to fall away from truth. doesn't mean you're perfect when you live for Jesus Christ. doesn't mean that at all. But it means you're pursuing the image. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the way, the truth. And when we leave truth, we fall away. And what's happened, especially in America? Do you know why there's, did you know there's over 2,000 different Christian groups in America? Different types of, over two, I thought there was about 20 denominations. Oh, no. There's over 2,000 different groups that call themselves Christian with different beliefs than the others. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say somebody's wrong. Because <laughs> there's a truth. Now, what a lot of people are saying today is, well, no, you're all in truth. You're all in truth. Truth is possessed in the Word of God. Some of you have been telling me how you've been reading and studying like you haven't been before. And you're telling me the, the truths that you're finding. And the, oh, I didn't realize this is. It's because you're, you're discovering truth. You see, the falling away is tagged to another group of people. And that's the remnant. That's the remnant. Stand with me. Got a lot more to say, but. We find in Scripture where the Antichrist, literally it says, will go. And this is a mistake that a lot of uh, prophetic book writers and have, have make here. And not that I'm, y'all know me. We're not talking about smart and intelligence here, okay? We're talking about word. How that he will set himself in the temple of God to be worshipped as God. And so there's going to be a temple built where he's going to sit and say, okay, the, the Jewish temple, I'm going to sit in that temple. That word temple in that scripture right there, the very word itself, means to violate a command, to go contrary to. It has nothing to do with a physical building. What Antichrist is going to do is set himself up to violate and be contrary, to be served as God a, a person contrary to the very truth of God. That's what it means. It doesn't mean a specific place that he's going to set. And the Bible says that the world is going to fall at his feet.
How can people that deem themselves Christians fall at a person's feet knowing that Jesus Christ, they've fallen from truth? They've fallen from truth. And it'll be that falling away that ushers all this in, that creates this atmosphere. You see why the falling away of Christians is so devastating? It's so devastating. God's Spirit that resides you, it resides in you. It's not going to be only be the Spirit that takes you out of this calamity. It's going to be the same Spirit that allows this thing to be ushered in. Until that Spirit is removed, this thing cannot be ushered in. This Spirit is removed when we go out of here. Then this thing can be ushered in. He works as a restrainer against evil in our lives because right now He is restraining the ultimate evil. So what does that look like? What does falling away look like? Remember that people outside of the church, they're already in a fallen state. People outside of the church are already in a fallen state. They're not falling away from anything. They've already, they're already there. People in the church that don't see truth and love truth you see, you can't just memorize the whole Bible and have truth. When I was in Bible college, there was a guy, you could do this. I'm just going to turn. I'm in Jeremiah 31. At the same time, saith the Lord, and he would start quoting it. And he would quote until you tell him to stop. He had a photographic memory. He could quote. I watched him for probably five, six, seven minutes. Just keep going until Brother Angie said, okay, that's good. But that doesn't mean you have truth. That doesn't mean you have truth. It just means you have knowledge of it. I I've said this before. I have knowledge of Trump, but I don't, I don't really know Trump. I have knowledge of him. I voted for him. He's our president. But I don't really know him. I can't call him today and ask you for a golf trip. The Secret Service will show up at my door and want to know what I'm up to. Just because I have knowledge of him doesn't mean I have an experience with him. But you know what? If Junior calls Dad and says, hey, let's go play golf, Dad's like, you know what? Put the government on hold. We're going to Florida. Flying at the expense of the people. And we're going to play some golf. Why is that? Because it's Junior. It's a son. It's an experience. It's a connection. I understand this about truth. Truth is not a knowledge. Truth is an experience. The only way you can experience truth first is through Jesus Christ. But because you had a, an experience 25 years ago, 5 years ago, 30 years ago, that doesn't mean you still have truth. Truth is an everyday can I steal your daily? You almost did. Truth is a daily thing that you observe, you experience, and you allow be to implant it in your life. And if you don't do that, the sad thing is what ushers in this judgment of God is those of us that would fall away from truth. You know what Jesus said about that? Revelation? Jesus talked about the writing of John, but it's, it's the Lord's Word. 
There's seven churches in Revelation. The first church is Ephesus, and that church was evangel evangelistic. The last church is called Laodicea. You know what that church is? Oh, I've become rich. I'm wealthy. I don't really have need of anything. I don't need truth. I'm hot. No. I'm cold. No. Lukewarm. That reference that John used there was actually a reference of two rivers that flowed into a city. One was a very icy cold that, flew, that flowed out of the mountains, and one was a very warm that flew out of the desert. And, and as they, if they flowed together, there were people that would bathe in the warm and drink out of the cold. But when, they, when it met together in the city, they stayed away from the thing altogether because it was yucky. It was lukewarm water. Any of you like drinking lukewarm water? I can't stand it. It's awful. And because of that, Jesus said, because you weren't hot or cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Do you know what God's actually saying there? I'm going to discharge you from the body of Jesus Christ. Come on, let's, I'm going to discharge you. If you're not hot or cold, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to, I knew this wasn't going to be the popular part, but this is the, he said, what's going to happen is I'm going to discharge you out of the body. You're no longer part of the body. I'm spitting you out. That's what Laodicea is about. That's the end time church. Whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, Laodicea is the end time church. It's the lukewarm church. It's the not hot and not cold. It's the ones that are indifferent. It's the ones that fall away from truth. Truth doesn't matter. If Jesus said something is a sin, it's a sin. Would you not agree? No, you don't agree? Well, I'll agree with myself. If he said it was a sin, it was a sin. If he said it's wrong, it's wrong. Church, we have accepted so much because of societal pressure. Many of you in this building today are classified as haters. You're a hater. Why is that? Because you don't agree with the falling away of truth. That's why you're a hater. Boy, the, you know what? The left is going to love it when we leave. Oh, yeah, they're going to love it when we're gone. I understand this. I'm going to throw something at you here, and then I'm going to be done. There's a left extremist that if you don't believe like they believe, if you believe like they, well, they hug your neck if you believe like them. The minute you don't believe like they believe, you're a hater, and all they want to do is call you names. Now, so hang on, everybody. Quit smiling. Because there's a right extremist as well. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe what they believe, as long as you believe what they believe, they hug your neck. But the right extremist, if you don't believe what they believe, you know what they do? Yeah, they call you names. That's what's happened in the church. And what God is saying is to us today is love Him. Love the truth. This is, this is not meant to be, I'm going to use me first. Is that okay? That God says a drunkard will not inherit the kingdom. 
Guess what Pastor Don was? Oh, that's what some of you aren't going to come back next week, are you? But Paul said it this way. That's what I was, but now I'm washed. Oh, yeah. Mm. If he says a drunkard's not going to make it, you can, you can flush it all you want down the, what do they used to call it? The Johnny seat. You can flush it all you want down the Johnny seat. If I'm a drunk, I'm not going to make it. We can go one after the other. A thief shall not inherit. What was Pastor Don before he came to Scott, what was Pastor Don? Scott, see, Scott and I had this deal. We don't hold anything back. What was I before a thief? Thank you. That's what I was, right? But now I'm washed. If he said it, a thief's not going to make it. A thief's not going to make it. What did he say about homosexuality? It's not a, this is not a hater message. See, all of some of you have already branded me as, oh, Don's hating on him now. He's, I'm not hating on anybody. What I'm telling you is you've got to love truth. Truth's going to make you free. The truth's not going to make you popular. The most unpopular person in Jesus' day was Jesus. He was more unpopular. He was called more names. He was called devil, Beelzebub. He was, he was called a liar. He, he was called a transgressor. He was called everything but what he should have been called. Church, we have to get a hold of truth. And truth's not what we say it is. It's what the Word says it is. Pastor Don, I have a hard time interpreting truth. Here's how easy it is to interpret truth. No offense to anybody here. Pastor Don is black. What is that? Say it loud. A lie. I'm telling a lie. Pastor Don is white. I'm telling the truth. That's not against... I'm just telling you the, the truth. Now, if you didn't see me and you didn't know me and I'm standing behind a door and I say, hey, this is Pastor Don and I'm black, you're, you know what? You're going to, hey, cool. Yeah, all right. But what's going to happen when you look around the door? He's just a white boy. Church has become so, American church has become so inundated with being politically correct I'm not talking about races, and I'm not talking about, I'm talking about truth. I'm talking about truth, being politically correct, that we simply have lost truth. So I'm going to ask you today, in the finish of this, the Bible says there's going to be a remnant right before all of this goes down. It's going to be people that love Him, love His Word, Love is truth. Going to live for Him. They're going to go you therefore and teach all nations. They're going. Rights aren't going to be as important to them as responsibility. I love. I don't want to give any right that I have in America up. I don't want to. But you know what? If I have to to be responsible, I will. 
I will. Did I like not having church? No. Did I like putting strings up on the chairs to keep you for separate? No. But my responsibility to you is that you may have a different thought process at this point. And you may fear. And so I want to be responsible. And I want to care for you and allow you to have your space. So I'm going to give up a right. I'm going to give up a right. That, that's an American right, not a Christian right. Truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Where do we stand as a church today? Where do we stand as a church? We can fill this building up next week if we just relinquish some of the truth. If we just let go of some of the truth. There are truths and truths and truths in Scripture. I have no intention of myself or Tabernacle of Praise of ushering in this Antichrist because I lost my love for truth. I do have an intention of ushering him in as a redeemed and resurrected saint. That's your choice today. Well, Pastor, there's a lot of truth in Scripture. Man, isn't there? So let's start with the basic. Jesus said you must be born again of water and of the Spirit. It's basic. Basic. Must be born again of water and of the Spirit. Basic. Peter said it at Pentecost. When he told them what they had done to Jesus Christ, he was the Messiah. He was the one Joel spoke about. He was the one that David spoke about. And he said, this same Jesus Christ, about 50 days ago, y'all killed him. You crucified him. Oh, what do we do? Okay, okay, you're right, Peter. What do we do? Peter said, I'm, see, I'm not that far away from him. Peter said, I'm glad you asked. He said, you need to repent. Repent means you just, repent doesn't mean I'm sorry, Lord. That, that's not repentance. That's apology. That, that, that's not repentance. Repentance means 180 degree turn. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk towards Becky and I'm going to repent of walking towards Becky. I just repented from walking towards Becky. That's what repentance is. You repent of your sin. You repent of your ways. You repent of and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission. What does it mean to remit? Remit. Remission. It means to wash away, to clean and wash away. Paul later on in Acts chapter 22, I believe it was, he said, Why tarry ye? Get up, rise up, and be baptized in the name of the Lord, washing away thy sins. In the name of Jesus. And you shall receive. Not, okay, well, we're going to get you down here and we're going to reel and rock and roll and lay and bump and whatever and we'll get you to speak in tongues. You're going to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That, that begins this truth line for you. This begins truth for you. From that point on, truth is word, word, word. So what are we as a church going to do? If, if you 
I'm just going to ask you, we're, we've got a good crowd here today. So if we all get up to the front, that's going to in, intrude on some of your, and I understand that. I'm, I want to be responsible. I, you know, I want to be respectful. So in our pews, maybe right now, Pastor Don's going to step into the altar. It's where he needs to be. Are we going to be a truth church and usher in a resurrection? Or are we going to be a fallen away? Are we going to be a remnant? Or are we going to fall away and usher in an antichrist? See, God says that's up to us. Lord, I know this message has gone from to to fro, from here to there. So much more can be said, but What's important right now is we understand something. However, whatever has happened in our great nation and in the world, the falling away from truth, from the thing that we hold most dear, or should hold most dear, and that's your word. God, as a nation, we've diluted. We've diluted your word. As a nation, we've discouraged people from your word. God, as a people, somehow we've lost our first love. We weren't founded on that. We were founded on a love for you. And as the church of the living God, God, I understand today that I can stand on a ladder and fall. I can stand on a rooftop and fall. And I don't want to be a fallen I don't want to be part of that group of end time, the latter days, that falls. That falls from truth. I understand, Lord, that this is not popular in our world today. It's not even popular in the church world. But God, we're not as a church after popularity. If we're going to go and teach and baptize and teach, if we're going to go out and do that, we've got to do it in truth. Otherwise, it's meaningless. God, if we don't ex- expose truth to people and people to truth, all that we do is meaningless. Because if we don't do that, we have fallen away and don't even recognize it. If there's not a tug on my heart for the lost, God, I've... I've fallen away and I don't even recognize it. God, if I don't see your command, your directive, then I've fallen away and I don't even recognize it. God, help me as a pastor to see your word and to accomplish your word. You don't expect perfection out of us. Just obedience. Just obedience. God, as pastor, I know this is a different service, as pastor, I present this church to you this morning. Your people. God, this is your people. It's not my people. You've blessed me with the awesome responsibility of being pastor here, but this is your people, and I present them to you, a church of truth, people that love you. In this Laodicean era, in this last church age before you come, we're not part of Laodicea. We're not militant. And we're not falling from truth. But God, we are standing here in this building this morning with our hands raised.
to you, Lord, in worship, in glory and praise, and as an admonishment from our heart to you that we will stand for your truth. Help us to find those that have fallen. There are those in, that we know from this very congregation, Lord, that have fallen away from truth, Lord. Help us to be a light to their lives, not to be a judgment or a militant, but be, be a light, understanding that their battle is not within their fleshly being, but it's within a spirit realm. God, help me to find those that are around me that are lost. The parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son are so real to me today. Help us to stand for truth, Lord, to fall in love all over again with you. I once was lost in sin, but you took me in. I once was blind, now I see. God, help me not to be blinded again or to return to that pig pen, to go back to those old ways. Help me not to know the truth, the beautiful truth that you've given us. And because of societal pressure or because of my own desire to fulfill my rights and what I think is right for me, God, help me never to fall into that, God. Help us as a church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a truth church. Jesus' name. What I will say to you this morning as we're dismissed, something that hit me so hard this week. A pastor, a local pastor, made a statement that all churches should be open because it's, and, and I agree, we should be open. Worship is not a one-man game, but it's a, it's a team sport. First of all, worship's not a sport. Second of all, worship is a one-man game. If you can't worship by yourself, I'm sorry, you can't worship here together. doesn't work. That's the case. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness for no reason. Jesus went off to pray many times alone. Understand something. This is great. But if this is all we do, then what's outside of here? Meaningless. It's great to be a Christian. But if you don't reach out to find another one, being a Christian to you is meaningless. Oh, but I'll be saved. Didn't we do great works in your name? Didn't we cast out devils? Didn't we do all these magnificent things? Jesus said, yes, you did. The problem is, I never knew you. You exercised the power of my name and the authority of my name in this world, and it works. It works for anybody, by the way. Ask the seven sons of Sceva. Because through Jesus' name, 
they exercised the power over devils. And the devils left that man, but they weren't Christians. And what happened? Understand something. Start your home worship. Start your home worship. And let it evolve into this worship here. I've seen some of you already do this, and it's amazing by watching you. But that's what true worship is. It's not us connecting to God. It's you connecting to God. If we do it as a conglomerate, that's wonderful because we're forsaking not the assembling. But the expectation is for me to do it if nobody's around. You see, here's the thing. There's a lot of things we do when nobody's around that, that we're not really proud of. But this is something that we could really be excited about. Man, if every one of us came in here full and charged of the Holy Ghost, truth was of the essence to us above anything else, even above my right to be here. You know what? If, if, if they shut this church down tomorrow, number one, they're breaking the Constitution if they do it. But you know what? They can do it. Don't think they can't. That doesn't stop me from ever worshiping God. They have broken the law by doing it. They have broken the Constitution by doing it. And I'm going to say this, just on, on, on our behalves. They didn't stop us from worshiping. They stopped us from worshiping here as we normally do. They didn't stop me from worshiping or believing. They may have altered my program. They have altered my program. When they come to me and say, listen, Don, if you ever get in that pulpit again and preach Jesus Christ, you're going to jail. That's a whole different story, right? I guess I have a prison minister then. Not going to stop. So I just invite, you know, true and adulterated worship is what? Anybody? Scripture? It has to do with helping the widow and the sick and those that are in need. Look what the Scripture... Go look this up. True and unadulterated worship is that you help the sick and feed the poor. Helping the sick and feeding the poor is more worship to God than me standing up here doing this. This is a form of worship, but it's not the true and unadulterated worship that God spoke of. He said it's when I go and affect someone. When I go into the world, it's 2819. That's true worship. Go with God this week. Go get some true worship. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.